So Money episode 334, Joe Saul Sihai and Kathleen Selmans talking about how to save half. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit Wealthfront.com. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy birthday to So Money. We are one year old. Can you believe it? We made it. January 14th, 2015, I started this podcast. It was a little idea I had in September of 2014. And as soon as I got the idea that this was going to happen, I first thing I did, I told everybody. <laughs> because once you tell everybody, you have to do it. And I would just tell everyone, my doorman, my nanny, uh, anyone would listen. I'd grab them and be like, hey, I'm starting a podcast. Isn't that great? And they look at me and be like, okay, good luck with that. I was diagramming it and writing it down, my to-do list, getting guests. I banked like 20, 30 interviews between October and December and January 14th, 2015, we just came out into the world and (sighs) crickets happened. (laughs) I mean, look, it wasn't terribly, terribly slow, but I was like, uh, hello, world, universe, uh, so money has landed. We got Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Lewis House, Gene Chatsky, David Bach, me. Come on. Let's let's kick this out of the ballpark. Let's get sponsorship in two weeks. And uh, the truth is, it was a slow burn, but it was a lot of fun every single day. I had good days. had some bad days. You know, a, a daily show is definitely, you, you, you can't get lazy, to say the least. And it, it, it was one of those things where I just had this personal goal to keep at it and it just became this obsession that people were like why are you doing it seven days a week for you should go to five go to three do one and i was like no i told them i was gonna do seven i have to do seven i will do seven but then we pivoted right because you reach milestones you find what people like you guys were telling me you were burning out so we did five days eventually then we just did ask farnoosh on fridays so here we are a year later over a million and a half downloads. We have sponsorship. The show has helped me become a better interviewer, I think. I mean, I'm not perfect. You will be the first to tell me that, and you do tell me. Farnoosh, get rid of your ums. Farnoosh, you know, ask better questions sometimes, get to your point. But some people have stuck around, and I have been encouraged to stay around. And I will say that this show, my point to this was that it has prepped me for TV, really going 
big time in television. I've managed to land a show with CNBC where I'm utilizing a lot of the skills that I bring to this show every day, asking, probing, getting beneath the surface of a lot of these guests that we have on the show, asking the hard questions, asking the uncomfortable questions. And the show for CNBC is called Follow the Leader. We actually announced this today. I'm in Los Angeles at the uh, Television Critics Association press event where CNBC is inviting me to speak on their behalf along with others from CNBC on a panel about the show, what we're doing, what we're up to, why we're excited. And we are excited. It's going to be really, really fun once this airs in March. And of course, stick here, stay here, subscribe to so many podcasts, sign up for my email list, get all the behind the scenes. You will want to know what's happening every step of the way. This is... Uh, unraveling as I speak. You know, I'm learning as you're learning. This is a a very fluid experience and I look forward to sharing it with you all and getting your feedback and uh, just doing this journey with you. And very excited to bring you more quality episodes to help you with your financial life every single day this year. Thanks so much. And without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Today's episode, can you believe the, the the headline for this show? Our guests today want to help you make 2016 the year that you save half your income. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're looking like right now. You're probably rolling your eyes and thinking, what? It's hard enough to save 10%. How am I going to save half my income? I live in New York. There's no way. Joe Salcihai and Kathleen Selmans, both of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. We know Joe very well on this show. They both have a new course out this year. It's called Save 50. And when they told me about this, I was like, let's run and do a podcast because I, I want to learn <laughs> how to do this. It's called Save 50, How to Save Half Your Income and Take Control of Your Future. Kathleen has actually done this herself. She continues to do this herself. And so she is walking the talk. And and we explore how this can actually work on any income and why if you're in debt, you may actually be the most likely candidate to successfully save half your income. Now to sign up for their e-course, which helps you learn the techniques to figure out your magic number, cut expenses, earn more money for the rest of your life, set up a system to save half your money, go to farnoosh.tv forward slash save 50. All right, here we go. Unleashing Joe and Kathleen and how to save half. Joe Salcihai and Kathleen Selmans, my magic duo. Welcome to So Money. Excited to learn how to save half of my income this year. How great is that, Farnoosh? So, Joe, my audience is familiar with you. Obviously, you're the voice of uh, Stacking Benjamins. You've been on the show a couple of times. We had the charity match off in November, which we won. Um, Easy, easy. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay, I'm done. Too soon, too soon. (laughs) I didn't know that you had a... A partner in crime, Kathleen Selmans, is here with you. The two of you, both the brain childs and and sort of the, the the forces behind the Stacking Benjamins podcast, which is very successful. Everyone, run to iTunes, subscribe. And this year, you have a new course coming out, teaching Americans and anyone how to save half of their income. And I have to say, if there's any one big lesson that I've learned through interviewing the quote unquote millionaires next door, which we did back in August on this podcast, is that they're not saving a wimpy 10%. They're not saving 15% of their salaries. If you want to retire well and maybe even early and live a great life, you got to save 50% or more of your income Some in some cases. But how do you really do that? I mean, look, people have student loans, credit card debt, mortgages. Where do you begin? 
Well, there's a trick to it, which is that money that you're paying down toward debt, right? But but that doesn't count as the interest. That money, actually, as long as you're not accumulating new debt, Farnoosh, that money counts. So it's funny when people, we, we've talked to a lot of people about saving half of their income. They're like, yeah, that just sounds so ludicrous. But like you said, it really isn't because successful people do this all the time. And you're a lot closer than you think you are, you know, when you look at your 401k, then you look at the debt that you're paying down, whether it's your mortgage, student loans, credit cards, whatever it might be, as long as you're not accumulating new debt, that counts too. So maybe you're already at 25 or 30% and then you work from there. And this course and your big idea about around this stems a lot from your own experience, Kathleen, right? You had credit card debt and then you got out of it, $30,000 worth of credit card debt. You managed to crush that and then proceed to save half of your income. Tell us your journey. How did you get into the debt? And then what did you do to get out of it? And then we'll talk about the savings component. Sure. Um, I got into debt by making a investment in a business that sounded too good to be true, which spoiler alert, those things always are. Um, what what was I the made, business? Oh my so gosh, that we don't a, fall into the same trap. You won't. I mean, smart people won't. It was like a, it sounds like something from a sitcom. It was like a guy needed his intellectual property back on this rat poison that wasn't Oh my god! So embarrassing to Were you know. hypnotized at the time? I, I must have been. Or was he cute? No, no I'm kidding. Uh, I ever actually never met the guy in person. Oh. And, and more, I, the more I say it, the dumber it makes me sound. But um, so I wrote a check off my credit wow. card. Whoa! That what? was guaranteed to be back in six months. And uh, six years later, it was. Uh, it still wasn't oh. back, and I, I took it upon myself to what pay happened? it all. Did off. the rat poison ever make it? Like, what was the... I think, you know, the guy disappeared after he got $20,000. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so that happened. (laughs) Right. You know know what? In some ways, I'm like, at least it wasn't, you know, um, just, you know, you spend $30,000. I've interviewed people and they're like, I don't even know what I spent the money on. Shoes, a a trip. Right, Thai food or whatever. Tires, (laughs) Thai food. Yeah, but this was a one one instance thing that... uh, that sucked. And then how did you get yourself out of that? That must've been a lot of interest. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it was like 23, 24% interest. It was awful. And so I, I did what I could for a little while. And then I started reading personal finance blogs in 2011. And I thought, you know, I, I turned 30 in 2011 and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm getting out of credit card debt once and for all. And I started writing about my journey out of debt and you know, there's, as a lot of people who write personal finance blogs know, it's a really great way, um, to find your, your people, (laughs) just to talk about all your, what you think are your deep, dark secrets. And there's tons of people on the internet that share those and they make you feel better and they cheer you on. You, you, I was posting net worth updates every month, show like charting my progress out of debt and being really aggressive, taking extra jobs. I did grocery store demos on the weekends. Um, I was, I was doing everything I could to get that debt paid off. And what's funny is I was 
already living on half my income when I read an article that said, you should save half your income. And like Joe said earlier, I thought, yeah, yeah, right. Like saving is for rich people or something. Um, and then I had a conversation with someone about it and they said, well, you know, exactly what Joe said earlier, you're not getting into debt anymore. Everything that you pay on the debt that you already have is something that you're getting back. So consider that savings and redo the math. And so at the end of 2012, I did the math and I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be anywhere close to 50%. And the math worked out to 47%. And I had just made like that year, I'd made like $33,000. And so I thought, well, shoot, (laughs) if I can do it. Is that after taxes? $33,000? Yes. Oh, so really you were, <laughs> yeah, okay. not I'm doing the math fun. now. That's like uh, $15,500 or so, $17,000 a year. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so really it sounds like it was a mindset shift. You looked at the debt and your situation in it as hopeless, as something that wasn't really a practice that was building your savings aptitude and kind of you're flexing your savings muscle in some ways. Right. And it, you know, it was also like an ego thing. You know, I, I grew up and I was told by everyone that I was smart and I was going to go places. And I, like I said, I woke up on my 30th birthday and I was like, well, either everyone was wrong about me or it's not too late to change. 30 <laughs> definitely triggers something in the, in the something. brain, right? I know. Right. Like so, it's like, okay, now it's time to be a grown up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So, really when the debt was gone, what what wasn't your impulse just to go out and shop though? I mean, I would have been like so excited (laughs) to go out there and buy something for once, even if it was like a candle, like just something. It's like not even carbs for a week. You want to go out and buy I'm not going to lie. What's that? (laughs) That was a well-deserved bottle of champagne that I bought. (laughs) So you bought some adult beverage and then you decided to just continue the the pattern. Right. Right. So, and, but I, you know, I, I stopped doing the weekend jobs and I turned it more into a lifestyle and learned that there are ways that I can make more money that don't include standing in front of people at Safeway handing out pieces. And of such pieces. as inspire us, because I think I would be very terrible at that, at that job. I walk past all of those people too. I feel bad. <laughs> Unless it's something I really want, like Oreos. Don't, don't feel bad. They get paid for showing up. Okay. <laughs> well, oh, well, that I didn't know. Okay, good. But, I can yeah. actually. Go ahead. Oh, I can actually jump in on on this part, Farnoosh, because this happened a lot back when I was a financial advisor. The number one way to make more money if you're working for someone else is to, number one, figure out what you're worth. And what most people be surprised to find is that they are being paid a lot less than a lot of people that do the same work that they do. And it's funny that uh, there have been so many studies that have shown and, and that this is especially a problem that women have. And there's plenty of men that have this problem too. And I don't want to say that half the population, all women do this or all men do this, but, but there are a lot of people that worry about, uh, if they're going to get fired, if they go ask for a raise. So there's a, there is a way to do that. And it's a way that I've seen more of my past clients make more money in a hurry, which by the way, then is money you never had. So create systems then to get that money saved. Mm -hmm. And that, that way to do it is this, 
figure out all the things that you could do for the company that you're not doing now, then go to your boss. And in a lot of companies, especially bigger companies, your boss is actually on your team. So you have to switch your mindset so that you know that your boss is on your team because they're not going to be able to generally, in a lot of cases, make the final decision on whether you get a raise or not. So you need to arm them. So instead of making it confrontational when you go ask for a raise, you're arming them with as much ammunition for their boss as you can possibly give them. I want to do this. 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 I would love to do that. Here's what other people are being paid in my industry. Here's what I'm being paid. So I really want to be worth even more. I want to be even more of a team player. I would love to do that. But I also think that if I do that, I should get X amount more money. And it's it's amazing how many times people would come back to me if we practice that in my office. And you know, they come back with $10,000, $20,000 more. And it's just from a little bit of preparation and getting over the fear. It's such an emotional barrier. I've been there myself and I find that uh, that's exactly what you say. It works more often than you think. And really what you're doing is being entrepreneurial on your job, right? It's identifying other needs in the workplace that you can, that you can support, um, that maybe aren't already in your job description, but it, it allows you to justify or beyond justify the raise that you want by saying, I'm going to go above and beyond my call of act, my call of duty. And how cool is that for everybody, Farnoosh? I mean, it's great for your boss. Your boss loves yeah, to hear that. Yeah, it's a win, 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 Oh, win, absolutely. Win, right. Yeah. Um, perfect. And then what you said actually has been studies show that it went, especially for women, because unfortunately, when we ask for raises using the same language as a man, it's not received in the same manner. In fact, right. sometimes managers are turned away, turned off by women just going in there and being very blunt about wanting a raise. So studies show that there's a different language that women sometimes it's to their benefit to use. And it's bringing up this idea of team benefits and being helpful to the group as opposed to me, 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 me. I need this money because it's going to better my life. Um, so great points. So let's go back to now saving half of your income. A lot of it is a mindset shift, but for someone who is maybe living paycheck to paycheck, who feels as though this is just not within their reach, what would you say to that person? You there know, are- I would. Go ahead, Kathleen. <laughs> I would say, you know, I, I, A, I was there. And B, when you're living paycheck to paycheck, it, you have a hard time being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So when you hear people say stuff like this, you think, well, that's, again, like my reaction was like, okay, that, that's something rich people can do. But um, it's amazing how much leakage there is in your in your paychecks when you're even when you're living paycheck to paycheck, because if you look at your, your spending over the last 30 days, unless, unless every single expenditure could be justified as a need, then there's room for saving money in the treats you've given yourself. The easiest two places we find people uh, find money when they think that they have none is they're very easy in your entertainment budget. Most people don't have an entertainment budget. They just they just party. Right. Right. And then number two is in how you look at your meals. And the funny thing about both of those is a lot of times people when it comes to entertainment and, and meals, a lot of their entertainments eating at restaurants. And when you cut back the restaurant eating, it's funny. There's this domino effect that happens. The first thing that happens is generally when you eat at home, you eat healthier food than eat 
created a restaurant. Tony Bourdain has that awesome book, Kitchen Confidential, where he said, you know, they always on menus, they'll show you what uh, <laughs> how many calories there are, the, how fat foods are. And he says, that's all a lie. Your waistline is your problem. My goal is to have you come back. And the way I get you back is through butter and salt. So <laughs> restaurants really just want you mm-hmm. to crave more food. And when you're healthier, you make better decisions. But there are things that come with meal planning. So uh, by planning your meals, you can batch meals. You can figure out the cost of the food and the ingredients. You also find yourself, especially if you're doing this with somebody else, that's time when you're in the moment, which is great family time. And Cheryl and I find that when we're preparing meals together, that's a great time where you have discussions. And if we're doing cool things with our money, we talk about our money. If we're not doing great stuff with our money, then we kind of avoid that. So if we're on a mission to save more money than we ever have and we're preparing meals together, we're there together doing this task that saves us money. Money. It's healthier. We think more clearly, which keeps us on task more. What about the big wins? Certainly, there are a lot of leaks within uh, the everyday expenditures from eating out to our, you know, whatever, just accidental things that we buy in the store, the impulse purchases. But what about your mortgage and your taxes. And do you guys address those sort of bigger recurring costs that happen annually where you make one tweak one time and you're saving constantly? We look we even do. yeah, bigger than that. Kathleen, you want to give them one of the big ones? Yeah. We tell people to um, give up their coastal life. So um, I think it's, <laughs> Oh yeah. Move. Uh, <laughs> right. Like, so I think it's pro- part, part of it is Joe wanting more people in Texarkana. But, That's right. Um, <laughs> Lonely. But it is, it is something that you can look at because mm-hmm. you need a lot less money in the middle of the country than you do in the big expensive coastal con- cities. And when we say that, it's it, what we mean, Farnoosh, is you have to question everything, right? I mean, if your goal is to is to save money, look at where you live and say, okay. As an example, I spent less money on my house that I have in Texarkana than we had when I was in Detroit. Now, Detroit's not a place where people think of, you know, huge, huge houses, huge uh, lifestyle expenses compared to New York where you're at. But but I I bought three times the house that I had when I was in Detroit for less money than I spent in Detroit. Now, I don't have the world's biggest house, but I live in a very comfortable place that I like. My job's online, so I can live in a little town, which is someplace I wanted to live. Kathleen's sister uh, had a similar experience. She lived in Portland and then moved to San Antonio. You know, San Antonio is still a really cool city. And how much money does she save, Kathleen? Well, she also went from teaching to sales. So her salary went up and the cost of living went way down and she bought a house for less than um, a down payment in Portland when she bought in San Antonio and she gave herself something like a 90% raise when she moved. So it sounds like your course is called how to be a millionaire next door. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, and it's funny because I feel like you stole my idea. I had this idea that after I interviewed all these millionaires next door, there were some really great nuggets extracted, you know, and it's not a coincidence what you're telling me that they all did. They, they, I don't think any one of them lived on a, I think one wasn't from the Portland area, but it was a a moderately inexpensive place. And Mm -hmm. most people were, you know, either in the Midwest, Texas, um, one couple basically didn't have a home. I mean, they had an apartment, but they, 
basically just traveled all the time. And that was sort of how they lived the great life on a budget. They made sure that they um, planned out all their trips accordingly so that it was under budget and uh, just had basically saved, you know, the Go Curry Cracker folks, GoCurryCracker.com. Right. right. So that couple, they just had a baby and they were able to save a ton of money as consultants because they didn't have to pay for rent. I think like their, their consulting gig paid for that. All their meals were included. I think if you're in your 20s and you're considering a career path so that you can simply retire early, it's consulting. Right. Um, if you're not <laughs> attached to any particular location, have them send you anywhere and just expense everything and save 70% of your paycheck. Done. You're retired by 40. And well, you have all those miles. Right. Right. You can, and then you can travel anywhere you want for the rest of your life. I was going to say too, Farnoosh, there's, there's magic in getting away from keeping up with the Joneses, right? I mean, when you have that type of a lifestyle, you're not thinking about everybody else's goals or what they own. One thing that we talk about a little bit, but is this, you know, the, 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 that super small house movement, you know, the one where you've got room for water and a pencil. (laughs) I'm certainly not on board that, but that inspires me uh, to look at, you know, how do I live? So the whole Go Curry Crackers thing, I mean, leads me to something that I really like, which is there's a series of books that you can buy anywhere, which is this movement called the Not So Big House Movement. And it talks about how a lot of houses are sold on square footage, right? And so what that does is it leads developers to just build these empty square feet so they can get more money for the house. And people that buy into that... end up getting a less livable house than somebody with a smaller house that has a lot more usable space. I mean, you look at a party in the 1920s, people gathered in a parlor, which is now your formal dining room. Uh, you would never think of having anybody uh, uh, in, you know, eating in the kitchen. You'd have this formal living room area. Uh, but now you have a party and everybody is in the kitchen and they're in this relaxed space. So living in places that have much more usable space cuts down on the cost of your living. And that's, that's a, it's a huge expense. And that's certainly not something we spend a ton of time on the course, uh, because we talk about different ways to make money. We talk about different things, all the different things that you can examine to cut expenses. Uh, the magic generally is in making more money, but when mm-hmm. it comes to cutting, you know, start big and then go small. What is the goal you think for those people who are coming to you to sign up for this course, to enroll in this course? Are they seeking to retire early? Are they seeking to get out of debt? What is the the big picture? Why save 50%? Why not save 20%? I mean, maybe you just don't care about retiring early or what, who is the ideal person for this program that you've created? It's funny. That's a funny question because we don't tell you why you should do it. There are a hundred reasons why you could do it. You could, if you save half of what you earn, you can work half as long. Uh, if you, if you save half of what you earn, you can take the other half and travel. Um, having money in the bank, having savings in the bank gives you so many more options. And I don't know if you need a reason to save half because I think sometimes that reason finds you. And, and for you, Kathleen, what has been the benefit other than just the joy of seeing your bank account grow? Well, right. So after years and years of being in debt, it's just amazing to see, to look at my account and see money in the bank. But one of the things, one of the big things that allowed me to do, I just moved last, 
actually a year ago today, um, I closed on a house. And because I had saved half my income, I was able to wait until the summer to sell the condo I was living in. So I was able to make more money because I had savings. And there's no way I could have done that otherwise. I would have had to sell in order to help with the down payment um, when when I moved. Wealth begets wealth. And it's it's flexibility, really. I think you're right. you're absolutely right. You hit it on the nail. When you have when you feel like you're at a comfortable, more than comfortable level with your savings, it inherently allows you to make decisions on your own time and on your own dime. You know, the other thing it does, Farnoosh, it, it teaches you that it can be you. You know, I think so many people hear about these epic things that other people do. We spend all day on Facebook watching other people's marvelous lives, and we think, oh, I wish I could be that person. Well, spending a year saving more money than you ever thought you could leads you to realize how much easier it was than you thought at the beginning. Like the first month, it might be kind of hard. Second month, it's a little bit easier. Third month, it's easier. By the end of the year, you set up these systems that allow your money to go where it's supposed to go automatically so that you're not even thinking about it. You're naturally doing these things. And once you have that muscle, man, that allows you to, you just feel so much more powerful. How do you avoid some of the, I guess, uh, how would I characterize this? I mean, when you say, when you're, when you go on a saving spree or a spending fast, <laughs> rampage, rampage uh, your friends may not be, on the same wavelength, your family might want to go on a family trip. How do you not become the Debbie Downer or the Donald Downer? And how do you feel like you can still have fun and not be quote unquote cheap or counting every penny? Is it the systems really that's, that's going to help you get over that and feel like you're not doing a lot of the heavy lifting and being that person who's always home watching Netflix? Yeah, we don't want you to be captain of the no police. Um, nobody likes those people. We're not we're not interested in in making your life miserable and making your friends and family dislike you. We talk about how you can take control of your social group and your social situations and switch if somebody says, Hey, let's check out a restaurant, maybe opt out of that. But then the next time, instead of just saying no, the next time say, Hey, everybody bring a dish over to my house. We can all, we can all do something at my, at my house. And they might not even notice that you're, you're suggesting the cheaper option. They might just think like, Oh yeah, you know, we haven't been over to her house Hostess in a while. With the most is right. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, Keith, yeah. Keith Ferrazzi has this great book called Never Eat Alone. And in mm -hmm. one of his chapters, he talks about the communal aspect of having people over at your house. And he said, whenever he tells people that, that they freak out and they're like, but my, I can't have people in my house because especially people I work with or that I know because they're going to see how small it is. The fact that I only have folding chairs, I don't have a real living room. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he said that none of that matters. It, have a communal meal because he says that, 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 Everybody eating a, you know, either a chili or a soup together or something that is communal where everybody brings stuff uh, is a way to make people feel closer. And he said the way to make that epic, and this was a really cool idea that I've actually implemented before, go to the local high school, find four kids who have done some quartet stuff and just tell them that you want to put them in front of some of your friends. And it's amazing how cheap Aww. to zero they will do that for. But don't tell any of your guests you're doing that, right? Just have people over, you're playing 
maybe, you know, some party game. And then a couple hours, yeah, a couple hours into the party, these four high school kids just start playing music in your living room. And all of a sudden the party goes to the one that was folding chairs in your mind at the start to the most epic party they've been to that year. I think that sounds great. What a, I got to read that book again. I read that a very, very long time ago. Um, Hey, listen, thanks so much for sharing this with us. Tell us how we can get more. Oh, so this is where we'll talk about the course, which is what we've been working on for months and we're really, really excited about. It's five modules, so it's easy to digest. There's 14 lessons. It We go through the mindset. You know, a lot of this is mindset. Um, we, we talk about how to find your magic number, because I think saving toward a percentage is kind of ephemeral and higher math than most of us think in. So we, we get you to a hard number. We help you set up the systems to get there. Uh, we talk about ways to save more money. We talk about ways to earn more money. Uh, we talk, we go through the ins and outs of every little idea. And then we give you the tools that you need at the end to keep it up for life. We, one of our, pillar foundation philosophies at Stacking Benjamins is that you don't have to be good with money in order to make good money decisions. You don't have to have discipline. You just need systems. And this course is all about those systems. And and this too, Farnoosh, this is not a financial plan. This is a movement because what people find is is that where you save that 50% is going to be different for everybody. You know, maybe the person who's making $25,000 a year who's trying to live on half is going to save a different amount of money and save it differently than somebody who is making $100,000. So in terms of the target of the course, it's all of the above. I just know that there are people that are clusters of misery in your life and you got to get away from those people. Mm-hmm. And instead, you have to associate yourself with people that are pack hunting for the same stuff you are. They talk about why wolves are such successful hunters. They're successful because they pack hunt and they all uh, are going in the same direction. So we made the course so that you can... You know, we didn't want people to have to show up at 2.30 on a Tuesday afternoon uh, because maybe you can't do that. So the course is do it yourself. But then we also have a community, a closed Facebook community that during the year we can praise each other on our wins. We can hold each other accountable. We can help each other save uh, half their income. And the cool thing for me is let's say that you fail, right? Let, let's, let's say that you only save, I mean, isn't it crazy if you try to save 50% of your income and you only save 40, wouldn't that totally stink hey, that you only 40% save 40% more than you right. saved last year? Yeah, exactly. Right. Thanks so much, you two. And thank you for this course. Happy new year to you and looking forward to more episodes of Stacking Benjamins in 2016. Same to you, Farnoosh. Thanks for having us on. Thank you to my guests, Joe Salciha and Kathleen Selmans. Their course, again, is called Save 50, How to Save Half Your Income and Take Control of Your Future. Go to farnoosh.tv forward slash save 50. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Stay tuned. Hope your day is so money.